Welcome to Strong Not Starving, my name is Marcus Kane, and if you want to beat binge eating and create a rewarding dynamic with food and exercise, you're in the right place. The information in this podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice, and today one of my incredible clients, Joe, will be joining me to talk about his journey out of an eating disorder. So, just heads up, some of the content in today's episode could be triggering. I would go home by myself and eat. Because I was, wasn't happy with what was going on around my life. Like, I just in a relationship, but a job I didn't like in a city I didn't know anybody. And I really just, I ate to soothe. And I think that's when it really started to become a habit was at that point, was just eating to make myself feel better, to get away from everything else that was going on in my life. And today's conversation is particularly interesting because Joe and I are going to be talking about our experiences with performance enhancing drugs. It's not very often that I get the opportunity to share my own experience and someone else's experience of performance enhancing drug use while actually talking about eating disorders, though so often these things go hand in hand. So I'm just so grateful that Joe volunteered to chat openly on this episode about his experiences. So Without further delay, let's get into it. Just for a bit of background, can you tell me like where you started with food? Like what was the start of your journey? What did that look like? What sent you down the rabbit hole? And what was that era of your life about? For me, it started really, really young. Um, I was an overweight kid. So like I, ever since I can remember being a child, I had a large appetite. I was overweight. That led to that led part of me to like just a lot of I don't know I wouldn't call it bullying but being picked on a lot, being reminded I was always the fat guy, um, that sort of thing. Um, so that took I was 14 years old going into high school in Canada, and I was like, I can swear, yeah, I can swear on the podcast. Yeah, um, absolutely, I swear all the time. <laughs> yeah, I was like, like fuck this, like I'm gonna lose weight. I don't want to go to high school being bullied, being picked on. Um, so that's when I did my first diet was 14 years old and I just have a sort of mentality and all or nothing mentality that I went into it and my just, I tried to eat a little bit better. It's funny. I wish I had the diet that I thought was a, like a good diet then, but it was just like, I would eat switch from eating like a lot of garbage to like chicken, but it was like breaded chicken. I didn't know that I was 14. I didn't know that was not the best for me sort of thing, but I would also, I would bike every day to the gym, which was two and a half kilometers there and back workout so lift weights and then i would run five kilometers every night yeah. like i this is a 14 year old doing this mm. and i lost probably that summer i think i lost like 50 pounds mm. but it was all through restriction i wasn't probably eating enough i kind of yo-yo weight my entire time um but i realized i love working out i love sports i've always been active and then when i got into personal training as i got a little bit older i had to, i felt like i had to be in really good shape for the business sort of thing. Um, so that led to constant restriction, constant cardio, because my metabolism is, I don't know if I slow metabolism, but my body wants to be larger. My body, like for me to stay in like a 10% body fat, which is what I used to want to do, I would have to have some very, very version of restriction or overtraining. It just, yeah. yeah. Or I, I, you know, I shouldn't say I had to, I thought I had to. Well, I'll <laughs> put it that way at that point. It's because now I realize I don't. Maybe I won't be 10% body fat, but anyway. Um, so that's kind of where that was. And then there's just, it was yo-yo dieting for, I would say upwards of 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and then where it came to be now, we've talked about this before is like, I got really, really good for a few years right before COVID where 
I wasn't really binging anymore. And that was thanks to Catherine Hansen's book, um, which was I give a lot of credit to that for what my initial was, was. But then COVID hits. And with the job that I do, um, so I'm a paramedic and I'm not trying to play what was me here, but things got really, really busy to the point where when we were 12 hour shifts with no lunch breaks, with overtime, I kind of got forced into restriction for lack of a better word, because we didn't get any hot meals. I got really resentful because of that, but like, fuck it. If I don't get to have a hot meal, I'm just not going to eat. I'll eat when I get home. And that just led me down the path of back into binge eating. I developed insomnia because I don't sleep well during the day, which fucked everything else up. And I just, year past year, like the year, if I went back a year from today, I was probably in the worst place I've ever been. Mm. But ended up getting a lot of help with the insomnia, which really corrected a lot of other things. The anxiety and depression I was feeling got a little bit corrected. And that's when I was like, the binge eating was still there, though. That was the one thing that hadn't gone away. Um, yeah. That's why I started working with you. That's kind of where I come to today. Thank you for sharing that, man. I'd love to hear a little bit more about a few different stages in in that journey. Obviously, we've yeah. talked about this a bit, but what was your experience of being a a fitness pro or a personal trainer like feeling like you had to show up looking a certain way in order to be in that space you mentioned you you felt this kind of pressure to look a certain way and maintain that what was your experience there i would say like i really i felt like i had to but i also felt like i had to because i had people saying it to me they would come up to me and tell me like i like i because like i chose you because you look like a trainer I'm like, that doesn't really matter at the end of the day. I look like this because I do an hour and a half of cardio a day and then like restrict myself completely. So it just it just showed me that the fitness industry itself, it, it's fickle. It is really fickle. And it was a, a grind every day. I felt like I had to restrict and I had to do that to maintain my business. And if I gained weight, clientele would fall off. I don't know if it would have. I never actually got to that point when I was a fitness professional. I was always able to keep it under control. But I still was doing the cheat day, which was just a binge day. That's all it was at the end of the day. Um, but so, yeah, it was it was just I don't know. It was a grind. It was a grind. I do love the fitness industry, so I don't want to act like like I still will lift weights every day. And I do think things are changing a little bit. I think it's becoming a bit more positive, which I think is a great thing. Um, or maybe it's just what I'm seeing. Maybe my eyes are more open to the positive when people would come up to you and say, oh, I've chosen you because you look like a trainer. I definitely experienced a lot of that pressure myself when I was a, a personal trainer on the gym floor. Like, of course, it. I felt like unless I looked like the best, most in shape person in the gym, then my income would then be affected and I would lose my house and starve to death. So something I'd love to ask you about is the performance enhancing drugs side of things. Yeah. You and I both used performance enhancing drugs back in the day. Where do we even start with that? What, what was your journey with performance enhancing drugs? What, what got you started? What was your experience there and what led you to say, all right, I'm done. So basically like my whole life, I was an athlete. So high school played football, basketball, rugby, went to university to play football, when I got there, I realized I am as slow as a turtle and I'm never going to go any further with this. Um, so this it became a job to play football as opposed to I need to focus on school, get an education. So I stopped playing football, got a job at a gym. 
that led into because I was always love even throughout sports. I always loved the training aspect too. I love weightlifting. Um, so I got a job, part time job at a gym. That way I could go to school, make a bit of money, stay really focused. But through going to the job at the gym, I got into bodybuilding. Bodybuilding, I did that for a long time. I worked with a trainer who was great. Um, back to that sort of thing, the quick little story that I had two trainers asking to work with me. One was this big jacked bodybuilder, obviously on steroids. The other trainer was a guy who wasn't like, just looked normal dude in a shirt. But then talking to them both, he was so much smarter, so much more intelligent. I actually hired him over the big bodybuilder. Eventually he left the gym. And I got, I was 21, 22. I got a couple people in my ear that are like, you look really good. Like maybe try this, try that. Um, so that's when I think I did my first cycle, which I had made horrible decisions when I first did this. Um, I think I was 22 when I did my first cycle. And that was just to see if I got, wanted to do, go further in bodybuilding. Um, so my first cycle, which again, horrible decision was a trend only cycle, which is the one drug a lot of people know of that means kind of almost become quote unquote popular. Now I hear a lot about it. Um, but it's just, I got good results though. That's the worst part. I think about steroids as I always say, the worst part is they work. Mm. So I got good results to the point that the gentleman that was giving me the drug didn't believe that was the only thing I was using. He thought I was getting stuff from other people that just reinforced it. So my next cycle, I did more. I had, I did a bit more research. Yeah. You should always have a quote unquote testosterone base then add to that. So I added testosterone base, testosterone propionate with the trend, kept getting results, added more with a Winstrel Anivar. And I had only done about four cycles, about two years in, and I just finished university starting it into the workforce. And that's kind of when I stopped was like, I did more research of what I had to do to be a good bodybuilder and getting into the growth hormone and things can be different now. Again, I'm not really in that bodybuilding world, so maybe things are different now. But insulin was the one thing that really scared the shit out of me, was hearing guys that are using insulin and knowing what insulin is, especially with my job now. Like that insulin dosing can kill you if you overdose on insulin or you inject too much insulin. It can literally kill you. So like on the spot. Um, so that's kind of how I got out of it. But getting out was hard because I know they're not addictive, but they are mentally because you go off the drug and my bench press is down 75 pounds in two weeks. And yeah, so I kind of left the whole bodybuilding space after that, gained weight, which went back into another cycle, but I won't get back into that. That's kind of my first experience using, or my whole like couple, two, three years using anabolic steroids. Trent, what you mentioned there has become almost like a part of pop culture thanks to tiktok like it it yeah. is just incredible that there are kids walking around with shirts that say trendsetter like that that's like a whole fucking, that, <laughs> that's like a whole fucking thing like there are, there is this pop culture surrounding steroid use particularly surrounding trend what was your experience of that drug i can see why people and I, I just feel really bad for the guys that are getting into it now because it makes you feel like it does make, I don't want to, I'm not want to sound like I'm promoting it, but it does make you feel a little bit like Superman. Like you do feel, but also made me, I'm usually a really, really, really nice person. Made me kind of an asshole. Like I was a much more short tempered where my roommates that I lived with in university definitely noticed it. Um, and like, I noticed it too, just short tempered and, but also made you feel like no one can stop you. Like it made you feel strong, made you feel big. But then I also had night sweats, heart palpitations. When I'm 20, I'm like, oh, I'm fine. Like, I think I'm fine because I feel like, because you feel like you're Superman. So it just kind of goes into a cycle that way. But 
yeah, it does. I don't know. I just not a positive experience overall when you like thinking back on it now, but kind of hard to get myself out of it when I was in it. Yeah. And the mentally addictive side of things, something I've yeah. mentioned before, I'll say it again, like when I was using performance enhancing drugs, I was using uh, what people are just calling anti-aging stuff. Now I was using TRT. So, you know, testosterone replacement therapy, but I was 27, no 27, no healthy 27 year old male needs testosterone replacement therapy. I went to a doctor that did all my bloods and everything and was like, well, your testosterone levels are here. We could boost you up to the very highest end of normal, which is here. And it would technically still be <laughs> like, you know, so I'm like, okay, yeah, you can treat me like I've got low testosterone. And then there was also um, a growth hormone element in there through the use of peptides. So these were drugs that I did not medically need at all. There was no medical justification for these, only a loophole. And the mentally addictive side of this whole thing, it's not like when I stopped using them, I was like jonesing for them or anything like that. But to experience what it felt like to be able to, like I was training Thai boxing at the time. I was, you know, obviously doing supplementary weight training on the side to help with my, my Thai boxing training and to help with the, um, the martial arts training. I was keeping pace with triathletes who would do Thai boxing in their off season to stay fit for the, the summer when they would go and do triathlons. So I was keeping pace with these incredible endurance athletes while at the same time building muscle while only needing about six hours sleep a night. And I know this, like to anyone listening, I know this sounds rad, but it is, it's, it, it just creates this situation where you're like, I don't know what the long-term side effects of this are going to be. There's no, there's, there's no real research done on what, taking something that messes with our hormone levels is is going to do for someone in their 20s like what what's going to happen at at 37 and 47 and 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 whatever like you just don't know it's this huge roll of the dice but then going off not to mention it was really fucking expensive <laughs> um, but then going off them it was one of the hardest fucking years of my life in terms of body image because all of a sudden I had body fat for the first time in however the fuck long, all of a sudden I actually needed to sleep. All of a sudden I remembered what being tired felt like. I hadn't felt tired in a long time. And of course, aesthetically, like my, my body changed. I, I no longer looked like, I don't, I no longer looked like a guy who was using performance enhancing drugs. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's so difficult with this because there's that roll of the dice. You don't know how you're going to respond to it in the short term or the long term. But when people say like, oh, I'm just going to do a few cycles or I'm just going to do it for a little while, that is done under the assumption that what you think you're going to be happy, just experiencing what it's like to to feel like Superman and what think you're just going to be happy going back to normal? When do you think that's going to be like, 
and that's kind of the reason why I got out of it. Like I said, because I really like just knowing I'm like, okay, this, like I was able to recognize in myself, this is not a good sign that you're this depressed after because you can't bench press as much. Like, I don't think you should do this anymore. It's kind of, I was able to remind myself that and just I'm back to the TRT thing you're talking about. Like, I actually think TRT is a really good thing when used properly. Yes. And, and, yes. and, and like it's getting such, I just, I mean, here in Canada, I, the doctors who need to adopt it aren't. So people go out of their way to find it and it's getting a bad rap for people like, yeah, for 27 year olds that are taking it. But I think it is a positive thing for people over 40, over 45, who genuinely have low testosterone. Yes. They can help yes. with mental health. They can help with energy levels. But it's getting a bad rap now because the people who don't need it are using it. And the doc and the people that need it aren't getting it because doctors like think it's a bad thing, especially here in Canada, because things are very a lot stricter, I think, than other places. But so, ah, yeah, I just feel bad that it's getting such a bad name because I don't think like testosterone can be a positive thing for people that actually need it. Exactly what you said, like the fact that people who don't need it are abusing it, it's ruining something that could potentially help a lot of people. And I, and I agree with you, more research, this is just opinion based on my, more research needs to be done to figure it out, especially again, for people, the research has done that someone who's 27 doesn't need a jaws testosterone. It shuts down production, like, it, like that research is out there, but after 40, 45 or whatever, or when different people, different ages, I think will hit different people, but when they see testosterone is shut down, like it's already shut down. Your body's already kind of done that, maybe boosted up a little bit to a point where like, your mental health feels better, that sort of thing. But again, just personal opinion on that. But I, I do think it won't get to that point if it keeps getting abused. Tell us a little bit more about what you experienced while going through the changes in your body and the changes in performance as you were stopping performance enhancing drugs, as you said, as you decided like, no, I'm, I'm off steroids. I'm not using those things anymore what was the next six to 12 months really like for you body image wise and with your performance and with your mental health? Tell us that story. Not great. Not great. <laughs> if I'm being honest. Um, so I had just finished university, like I said, and I was going off to like my first job in sort of after university, which is, I was in the business world at that point and didn't like that. Cause I didn't like my degree. I just didn't feel like I was doing anything with my life at that point. Like not, not, not doing anything with my life, but I was just making money. I was, no greater good. I wasn't helping anybody. And that I guess really drives me. I realize now I moved to a different city. I was in a very bad relationship. Everything went poorly. I feel like borderline depression. I probably gained 40 pounds of fat because just I stopped working out as much, went back to a normal diet because um, I didn't have the time to train like I used. wasn't working at a gym anymore and all that kind of stuff. Like I just, yeah, I won't go to say depression, but I was kind of like, well, go do nothing but go to work, come home and kind of like start to binge again, which I would definitely like, and kind of all that's like going off steroids brought me back to that. I don't blame going off steroids. I blame everything else. Like I said, I wasn't happy anymore. And that was just another poor cycle that came after that until I had to snap myself back out of it. That was about a year that I was like that, moved away from that city, got out of that relationship, kind of changed jobs um, and got kind of really fell in love with fitness again, started without steroids though, but working out, training, just making myself feel a little bit healthier, healthier, pardon me. But it did take me a good year to battle through all that, to get back to a good place where I even wanted to work out again. Mm. 
it was really good that you were able to that your body was able to start producing testosterone naturally again yeah i think I, now that you, i was gonna now that you say that i i did have even trouble like even though i say sexual performance it wasn't the best coming off of it but i also didn't do proper again i didn't do enough research before i started i was too young didn't do pro and like there wasn't as as it was more underground then too so it was really hard to find the research but didn't do proper post cycle therapy um and for about i think that's part of why the depression was there was because all the testosterone levels were now low because i went off steroids and probably my production decreased um it's hard to do blood levels here in canada and i didn't really see a doctor there you can't just go and get blood work done here you need a requisition from a doctor so i didn't even that wasn't even a thing to think about was blood work i wish that it was so I don't know if it was, but I'm pretty sure my testosterone was even low then. And yeah, it was just, there was a lot that didn't go well that year. Mm. And that kind of brings us to a point where binge eating was playing a, a large role in your daily, weekly life. What what was your relationship with food like at that point in time? What was a day in the life of you with food like? What was a, a week in the life of you? like with food what kind of cycle were you in um skipping breakfast every day um probably a small lunch i get home from work from 10 o'clock and i would go grab some sort of fast food something from the grocery store likely some sort of ice cream and because i would go home by myself and eat because i was wasn't happy with what was going on around my life like as i just in a relationship but a job i didn't like in the city i didn't know anybody and i really just i ate to soothe and I think that's when it really started to become a habit was at that point was just eating to make myself feel better, to get away from everything else that was going on in my life. Um, instead of really confronting it, I was kind of doing that to comfort myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was basically, and that was, that was probably daily that I was doing that. Like I said, just because you feel guilty for the next day, I would then restrict in the morning, restrict in the I get hungry in the afternoon, I have a little bit. I'm like, oh, I still shouldn't eat too much. I'm going to eat healthy today. Today's going to be the day that I switch this back. I do a 10 hour or eight hour shift in my business job. I'll come home at like 10 o'clock. I'd be like, oh, too tired to care about making anything healthy and just I'm starving because I've probably eaten 600 calories all day and I'm a 200 pound guy. So I need food. And then, yeah, I'd just be binging every single night until I got myself out of that cycle for the first time or third time, probably at that point. I've lost count at this point. But. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't like an eating disorder of some description was this very constant thing that that stayed like very linear or was was present in the exact same way through every different season or every different phase of your life. It sounds like there were different levels of disordered eating present, but sometimes it was more intense. Sometimes it was just kind of wrapped up in being in the fitness industry and being just doing the gym thing. Uh, whereas this season, this phase that you're describing right now, when you were doing the business job, this sounds like you said, much more like restricting during the day, eating to soothe in the evening. That's correct. The disorder was always there, just kind of how it manifested itself, I think, because I never really, I never really even thought that I had an eating disorder, quite frankly, at that age. I thought it was, that's just what I did. Um, it wasn't until I got a little bit older and did a bit more research after working with a client who herself had an eating disorder that I realized, dude, I, I kind of have one too, like a different one. Yeah. But like just the fact, just because I don't purge because like by by vomiting, but I definitely would purge by exercise, even yeah. when I was yeah. in the gym thing. Um, so yeah, so the eating disorder was always there, just manifested itself and showed itself in different ways. 
but it was it's always kind of just an underlying thing been there i think since i was probably about 14 years old like i said what made you decide to leave the business world and become a paramedic um just i felt like i was like i said it became just everything was about money i'm just going to work every day to make money um and that just didn't align with my morals and values like um and with that said, I have been blessed, like like with a financial situation where I have a family that, that has good money. So I've never had to be super stressed about money. So we'll say that first that I know it's going to be different for a lot of people. And but I like I was able to like like I want to do more with my life. I want to do something else. Um, so I did get back to personal training for a while. But actually, while I was personal training, one of my clients that I was training, um, she was training to be a paramedic, and I was training her for the test because there is a bit of a fitness test that has to go with it. I was talking to her about the job and I'm like, sounds really interesting. Like I should, maybe I'll try doing this. So 30 years old, I said, fuck it. Like I'm done with all this thing. I have the fitness injuries pissing me off because that came just about money and who could market themselves better, not about who actually gave a shit about their clients. So I'm like, I'm going to help people in a more macro way. I'm going to do more. So I went back to school and became a paramedic. That's kind of where that came from. That I just, cause I could be, I like, I've always been physical. So I like moving. I didn't like the desk job sort of thing. So that's why I left. The business doing the training but like this is like i can use my brain because i can i need to know all the medical side of this because we're not just ambulance drivers as people think like we give medications we do more than just drive an ambulance there is a lot of like medical knowledge that we have but i also get to be physical i don't just have to sit in an office and talk to people i get to be out there and doing things mm-hmm. as well so it kind of seems like a perfect match for me that kind of brings us to the the season that you were in before we started working together where you mentioned COVID happened around that time. What was going on in your life in the years before we started working together? So for the first five years of being a paramedic, loved every minute of it. Like I felt like I was helping people. I felt like like the, the shift work was fine. It's when we got into COVID and things just got, lack of better words, silly. Um, I got into a, my full-time position versus part-time where the hours are the same, but the schedule is different. Uh, we still do a continental schedule because where I work is kind of a smaller town, used to not be that busy. It was okay, but we're basically I have to be on nights for two straight weeks. Um, so there's really no, and for me, I don't sleep well during the day. Um, but I was able to manage it when I was part time because it's kind of spotty here and there. But for then, for two weeks, I just wouldn't sleep. Um, so that led me to what I didn't realize to what, like, I was diagnosed with insomnia. Cause I couldn't sleep for longer than an hour, hour and a half at some point without waking up with night sweats, palpitations, that sort of thing. And then, so that got really bad, but like, I think I said this already, but because we were so busy, um, we don't actually get official lunch breaks as paramedics. You just try to eat when you can before that was fine. Cause it wasn't, we weren't going 12 hours straight with COVID versus COVID itself. Um, people overreacting to COVID. The fact that doctors were off, so like the elderly people had no other way to get any sort of medical attention other than call 911 because the online appointments, the doctor's appointments don't work well for a 90 year old person. Like they, they don't react, they don't understand. So they would call 911 and I understand why they did. They had no other way, but that meant we were going nonstop to the point where I was into forced restriction. So I would go a 12 hour shift without eating because I didn't have time. Um, I would eat some cold food, but I would just get so angry at the whole situation because I get no break, no rest. I wasn't sleeping. It's like, fuck it. Like, I'm just going to restrict and I'm going to go home. And I think I I did start to eat to soothe again because I wasn't extremely happy in my job at that point. Um, I was not doing well with the nights. And yeah, so it got to that point that I realized like, and I am pretty good with my self-awareness. And like I said, I was becoming an asshole again. 
I was being sore with patients who didn't deserve it. Um, I was being sore with my partner who didn't deserve it. And I just wasn't myself anymore to the point where I'm like, I, I need to do something. Like, I can't keep going on this way. I'm burning the candle at both ends. I feel exhausted. I feel grumpy. So I told my work, I just need some time. Like I took three months off work, kind of got myself together, worked with a, like a psychotherapist who put me on like a CBTI, which is like a cognitive behavioral, cognitive behavioral therapy for an insomnia. That was the, my very first step to getting better. Once I got my sleep under control, everything else kind of fell in together, but the eating wasn't getting any better. That was the one thing like, like I was still, I don't know if I was eating to soothe then. It was almost a habit. It was almost a routine to do that. And I just, I, I couldn't snap out of it. I couldn't snap out of it on my own. So that's when I saw all, all your stuff on the internet. So I think from following Catherine, following other people in the eating disorder industry and just your shit made a lot of sense to me. Like listening to you talk was almost like talking to myself. So I'm like, let's put this out there. Like my partner kind of knew I had eating disorder, but nobody in my family knew, none of my friends. Some of my close friends kind of picked up on it. They would joke around about it, but didn't realize the severity of it. Um, so I'm like, I, I just kind of need to make this real. I need to just put this out there, see what somebody can do for me um, because I'm not doing well on my own. So like, again, like banging my, house, my, banging my head against the wall and trying to do the things I did before that I've always fallen back into an eating disorder, haven't worked. The only thing I haven't actually tried to do because of my pride is reach out to somebody and deal with this. That's where I came to now. Well, I'm really glad that you did, man, because working with you has been and continues to be an absolute pleasure. I would love to know your side of this journey, what you feel has been most instrumental, what you feel have been your light bulb moments. What do you feel has led you to the point where you're no longer binging and experiencing what you're experiencing now? Couple things. Um, first one I can mention is like walking before I run. Um, so with that, what I mean by that is I've been able to do small little wins um, and before getting to bigger ones. Like I was able to challenge myself with like little easy things and actually doing them um, because I do have that personality. The same thing that got me into binge eating, which is like, just go fucking do it. Like it was like, just lose weight. You can lose weight. Just be in a calorie deficit. That's all it is push myself too hard that way. But then I'm like, well, why don't I use that mentality, that skill for a good thing? Okay. So Marcus says, try this, just try it. Like what's the worst thing? It can't be worse than what's happening now. So just try it. <laughs> um, and then well, one of the first things I did this time was acknowledge those wins, not take that win. Like, what can I do next? It was, that was a good win. What can I learn from that? Good job, Joe sort of thing. And then, okay. Then, then we talk again, like, okay, what's the next little challenge I can give myself? And then we progress to bigger challenges to the point where I can just, yeah, I just, there's no challenge that I feel like I can't handle right now. And the other thing was that this is the first time that I've worked on my body image as opposed to just the eating disorder itself. Um, realizing that I'm not in the fitness, fitness industry anymore. I don't need to be under 10% body fat. For my job, no one gives a shit if I'm skinny or fat. They just care that I can help them. Like, and, and just and reminding myself that I like my body is more than just what it looks like. My body has skills. My body is able to help save lives. My body is able to make positive impact on other people. And the more energy that I have, the better I feel, the better I'm going to be at my job, the better partner I'm going to be, the better effect I'm going to have on other people. And, and it's really made me just, I'm not going to say I don't care about my body. I definitely do. 
but it's not the be all end all. It's, it doesn't matter. And as much as it needs to, and I think that has really helped me like overall, like, I think that's why I feel much more confident that I'm not going to fall off again where I have before is because I do have that positive body image, even though I don't have visible abs because I'm in fine shape. I look fine. And, and I like that. I can say that just when I was a kid, like I said, I feel like I honestly always tied my value back to my weight was because I was picked on for, I was picked on for nothing else because I was smart. I was good at sports. I was nice, but it was just my weight. I think that's the only thing people could attack. So they did. And then that really just put my value for my whole life on people won't like you if you are overweight yeah. and people are going to make fun of you if you're overweight. And, and sometimes that's why I said, I feel bad for kids that are going through this or people in their, like their young twenties are trying to find a part of that sort of thing, because it is tough. It's tough to get out of the mentality. It's easier now that I'm 40 with a good job, with a partner who I love. And like, it, it's so much easier, I think, for me to have that body positivity. So I will say like, this was the perfect time for it to happen as much as I wish it happened before. Um, I have kind of all my ducks in a row and now I was able to attack this part as well. So I just, for people, other people that are struggling with that, I don't want to make them think it's super easy that I could just deal with it. Everything else was in line for me to finally deal with this. And I think that's another reason why I am where I am today. And something that I really appreciate that you put some emphasis on there. It's not like you're saying that you reached a point where something clicked and all of a sudden your appearance just didn't matter to you at all. Like you achieved this godly level of body positivity where you're just like, oh, I'm beyond being invested in what I look like at all. It's like, no, you you still care about your appearance, but it is in proportion. It It no longer makes up the deciding majority when it comes to how you feel about yourself. Yeah. Cause I, I won't sit here and say I, I, I eat, I, I eat what I want, but a lot, I want to eat healthy a lot of the time. That's good for me. It's good for my body. Keeps my energy level up. So I do, but if I want to eat something that's quote unquote bad, I hate the word bad. We always talk about that, but yeah. something that's a little more fun then yeah, I eat it now. What advice would you give someone in that, in that position when they were say like looking at the way that you eat right now and maybe going, how, how do I do that? Like with, without restricting myself, it seems like you're making food choices that are very healthy just because you want to, like, how do I, how do I find my way to that space? What advice would you give? Just something that I know, you know, we've worked on for weeks and weeks and weeks was what is the intention behind it? And I would always remind myself of that when I was making a meal, eating a meal, like, am I going out for pizza because I've, restricted for so long and now I just need that pizza or am I doing it because we're going out for dinner and I want to have a positive experience with my partner and not worry the whole time and focus on what I'm eating as opposed to, or I just try to eat a healthy thing, which isn't going to satisfy me. The intention is I want to have a good night. So I'm going to eat whatever I want, but the intention is the next day. Okay. I got to work tomorrow at 6am. I'm not going to eat order pizza at 11 o'clock at night. Cause I'm going to wake up feeling sluggish and not feeling good. So I'm going to eat something that's I know I'm going to wake up feeling good. And that's really kind of what got me to the point that I'm now, which is, and I don't even really think about it now. Like it's kind of just more natural, but what is the intention behind every decision that I make with food and being honest with myself with what is the actual intention? So important, like being honest about the intention and, and, and tuning into that, because of course there are different phases of this journey. And, and we've talked about it before, how, moving from that place of being 
really stuck in the binge eating cycle and and really stressed out about body image and and really being in it there there usually is a phase or a season where we need to be quite liberal with food choices where we really need to kind of just put aside the notion of of trying to interfere with the foods that we want um quite a lot we need to give quite a lot of permission quite a lot of that unconditional permission but then as the journey progresses then more space does open to make these choices like okay how did i feel in the hours following the last time i made this choice like okay yeah. i'm work i'm working tomorrow what might serve me well to eat this evening all the while paying attention to what you mentioned with like that doesn't mean in the name of being super utilitarian you're just gonna eat something that tastes like dog shit you know like it's important to enjoy what you're eating but no matter which phase of the journey that we're on that awareness of intention is still applicable because at any stage of the journey like you said if you notice that a food choice is coming from i need to be in a calorie deficit i need to lose weight i need to have visible abs that amount of food is too much then it's then that shines a spotlight on the real energy behind that particular food choice so yeah. although the the parameters and the rules can change a little bit as we go that is kind of the, like the guiding principle that will always be there throughout the whole journey no matter which stage you're at what is the intention the real intention behind this food choice i'm really glad you mentioned that yeah i will say i don't think at the start that i really gave myself full open permission to eat whatever i wanted and i don't think and i didn't because i didn't think that would make me feel good because mm -hmm. my body at that point i was just getting out of the or just i was still binge eating when obviously when i first met so i think i wanted less healthy foods more because i was so used to that but i knew that would wouldn't go well for me because the mentality of me gaining weight whether i hadn't dealt with the body image yet this is when we first started so i was like you need to try to eat as healthy as you can it's going to make you feel better but my thing was eating making sure i ate enough of those healthy calories so making sure i ate breakfast probably five four to five meals a day or probably four because i like the bigger meals but making sure i got all those calories in and then as I've seen myself, my mentality changed. Now I've kind of, now I would say I'm full food freedom um, from there. But before I did, will say I was making healthier choices again, because they did taste good, but because I knew it would make me feel better. And the better I felt, the more mental clarity I had, I felt the better I could attack this. So I don't think, and I don't, I'm going to say that that's going to be the best for every, that my way was the best for every way. Some people might need that full food freedom to open themselves up, but to get out of whatever headspace they're in. I think that's just worked for what worked for me. Yeah, I guess that's important. And I must confess that I always am super aware that I'm recording as have as, as as I'm having any of these conversations. And I'm super aware, like hyper aware that so many different people are listening to this and all of whom have uh, at different stages of the journey have unique experiences. So I'm doing my best to cover all bases for everybody yes. all the time in every conversation. <laughs> and it's, uh, I, I got to confess, like, yeah, for everyone listening, Joe's journey here, like the whole unconditional permission surrounding food thing, when we started working together, yeah, he's absolutely correct. He didn't 
necessarily need to go through that phase of just filling the freezer with Ben and Jerry's and just going for it, like eating pizza three times a day or whatever. That wasn't part of his journey. Uh, that wasn't part of my journey either. Like my my own steps out of really struggling with binge eating definitely were a little bit more calculated, but that doesn't mean that step and that total freedom surrounding food and that whole thing isn't helpful for some people. So any for anyone who's listening to this, like I, I just really appreciate uh, the fact that everyone has a different experience here. And I do stress every time I, I record about trying to make this applicable for absolutely everyone. But at the same time, I don't, Joe, I don't want to step all over something that you're trying to say in terms of the pathway that worked for you. And in your journey, in your story, things were a little bit more planned. But yeah, you you never kind of had that fuck it, like free for all, like phase, like we were working on food freedom, we were working on the intention behind food choices. We were working on making sure breakfast was happening and um, allowing larger portion sizes and everything like that. But at the same time, there wasn't that free for all. Phase. No. And I think that the key, like I said, no matter what you're eating, it's the consistency. It's it's not allowing. And that's what, what I really was strict about when I first started with you was there was zero restriction, like zero, like I'm missing meals. Like there was getting in all those meals and whether it was healthy or unhealthy, I needed to make sure I got those meals. So for me, it was the soothing at night when I would get home from work. That's when my binge would happen. So when I get to that point, I, I don't, A, physically, my body doesn't want physically to throw down 3000 calories. But then I, I just being in more mental clarity because I now have fuel for I was fasted for 12 hours that you just make bad decisions because your brain's not really working properly. Mm. I remember now that was such a huge thing when we first started working together, making sure that food was entering your system during the day, even when you were working, just to make sure that you didn't end up in that situation where you would be getting home late at night after a really long day and then just being starving. And I feel like everybody has different things that are their Achilles heel or different things that are their like primary obstacles. And correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm, but if I'm remembering correctly, the, the thing that was really big for you uh, when we first started working together was just making sure that you were getting enough fuel during the day so that you weren't in that situation where you'd arrive home ravenously hungry yeah that was that was the biggest step up for me and then that and then like i said the body positivity or body like just my confidence in myself and like allow or my value towards what i looked like be able to decrease that i think mm -hmm. those like those two things and that's why i think it didn't work for me to allow full food freedom because I hadn't worked on that yet. My body image still was not great when we first started working together. And if that got worse, I didn't feel confident that I could have gotten healthier that way. So I leave the, I kept that neutral. Like I didn't lose or gain any weight when we started, but I was like, to me, the healthier foods make more sense. Like they're going to lower my blood pressure. Like I said, I'm 40 now. And I had trouble with that when I was going through insomnia, my blood pressure was through the roof, not on medication yet, but close to it. Um, and that, and I was trying to eat for health as well, so I could get my body healthier. Again, I appreciate the nuance in that message because the body image obstacle is such a huge obstacle for so many of us. 
And the idea that things with body image need to be absolutely perfect to make any kind of progress, I, I think it puts some people off. I know yeah. that if someone had told me that the only way out of an eating disorder was to practice literal unconditional permission immediately, that would have just been endless binging. And and that happened for me a couple of times. Like if, if I'd gone, okay, unconditional permission, really? Like I just would constantly binge. So I'm, I'm always, so, like I keep saying, I'm always so torn because I know there are a lot of yeah. people, there are a lot of people that advocate literal unconditional permission, but unconditional permission is an interesting term. And it, it also depends on which eating disorder someone starts with or what background they have. Like for, for example, someone with a history of dealing with something like anorexia, completely different, completely different, 100%. Like this is where unconditional permission is like, well, if someone's had anorexia, then unconditional permission is going to be absolutely necessary because often any kind of parameters or any guidelines that stand between you and actually eating are not going to be a good thing. It becomes about, we need to get people comfortable with food any way possible. That food needs to go in, but then someone who's, you know, with a story more like yours or, or maybe even my own coming in and out of the rabbit hole of disordered eating for many years and going through periods of like fitness industry stuff and then going through periods of binge eating and eating to soothe and then weird work schedules and all that kind of stuff that leaves a bit more room to move i guess it leads a bit more leaves a bit more open for uh improvisation yeah. I mean, again, I think so. And again, that was one of my things like listening to like your stuff that you were talking about. Like I always felt it wouldn't work like it wouldn't work for me. And the fact like you almost allowed for more freedom or for each individual to work in their own, like with, with what they think will work for them. Like that's what I really liked about your approach to all this, as opposed to like, I feel like if you'd like eat whatever you want all the time, like it would have been too overwhelming for me, mm -hmm. for me, for me to deal with. And then, okay, I'll eat a big breakfast and then, I don't feel like eating the rest of the day, which ends up me not eating for 10 hours because I feel full from that big breakfast because I was in a binge eating cycle. I just didn't think it would work for me. So you kind of allowed me to say, what do you think will work for you? And we put together a plan that I kind of like, I probably, I put together a plan of what I was eating, but you just kind of guided me along what were the right kind of choices to make. Yeah. And it was really yeah. empowering that you allowed me to make all those decisions and you sometimes you're like, well, maybe don't do that, but like do that, like sort of thing, like, like politely remind me that maybe isn't the best idea sort of thing. Um, well, autonomy is so important here. And I, I agree a hundred percent. Yeah. Autonomy is so important with this stuff. And that's, I, I appreciate you saying that because yeah, I definitely do my best to put the decisions in my client's hands, like in your hands, like I'm going to help to steer you away from any minefields or kind of say like that might not be the best idea or whatever. But at the end of the day, you are the world's most insightful expert on whatever it is that you're experiencing and what's going to work for you. And we're constantly riding that balance between challenge and overwhelm. Yeah. But yeah. I, I know that you having autonomy in the, in the steps that you made 
was uh it was a good thing because you know you were smart about it yeah i just I, sometimes i think some people think that making a healthy choice is disordered on it in and of itself but i just don't think I, that's my personal opinion that i don't think i think making a healthy choice is good i think yeah. making the choice yeah. that you want to make is what it should be is there anything that um anything you'd like to to wrap up with any message that you'd like to leave everyone with journey's not easy but like it's it's doable but like i said before like make it real like be honest with yourself if you really do think that you have trouble and you want to get better be honest with yourself whether i'm not saying you have to reach out to a therapist or a coach but make it real and yeah just be, be honest with yourself about what is going on and that you can do it it might be a struggle but I think a lot of people have a lot more strength than they think they do. Because mm. just look at the rest of your life. And like I said, for me, it was finding I have strength because I can be in emergency situations that other people might not want to be in. Like that's, I have that strength. I have, I have strength to do this sort of thing. So find that within yourself somewhere. And like it is, I'm not going to say anything's possible, but you really can. Like if you want to snap out of this, there are ways to do it. And there are, there are good people in this industry. And so thank you for that, that are helping all of us. So, yeah. Dude, thank you so much. And thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you are in a rough place with food and body image, don't hesitate to reach out to me by following the link in the episode description. So my name's Marcus Kane. This was Strong Not Starving, and I'll be back next week.